my beer first. Yeah, do it. How is it tasting? Is it um, as good as it ever has been? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah? Uh, it's the Gin Barrel Goza from Hargreaves Hill. This is how we're going to start the show. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, how was that when we were at Hargreaves Hill that time recently and like no one liked the Gin Barrel Goza? No, we were, just, we were just like, this is <laughs> tasting spectacular. It was a different crowd though, wasn't it? What was that event? Uh, we were there for the brewery tours. Um, Australian Brewery Oh, brewery yeah, tours. that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I can't remember what number episode that was. It was a good one. Yeah. We're at White Hart Bar in the city. It's kind of becoming a new favourite of mine. Yeah, it's pretty good, Have you eh? been here before? Uh, I have been here, but only when we were going to record and then we went somewhere else. Because mm. I had a private event. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like Section 8, but nicer. Yeah, that's fair to say, yeah. Um... Now we've got a pretty good show coming up. Recorded yeah. two weeks ago now. At least, yeah. With uh, Richard from Bent Spoke. Richard been on the show once before. Yeah, uh, the Gab show. Yep. Yeah. And they were doing a tap takeover at Hopscotch, so uh, he was kind enough to, to join us. He's a good chat. How's the ESB tasting? You're doing the Hargreaves right. ESB. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, I've got some news before we get into this. Mm. Hey, uh, Stonerwood Invitational. Yes. Is coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, they've just announced all the breweries. I'm not going to list them all, but head to the Stonewood website. Uh, 24th of November in Brisbane. It's going to be at the Stonewood Brewery, which is soon to be in Brisbane. Um, yeah, it's a good lineup of brewers. It's a really, I guess it's invitational, so it's a small curated lineup. A little bit like the uh, Firestone Walker Invitational. Yeah, did you have a look at the, the lineup? No, I, well, I might have seen it, but I don't really recall who, any off the top of your head. Uh, yeah, Green Beacon, Modus, Bridge Road, uh, Van Diemen were in the mix. Um, but pretty much just like bona fide killers, though. Yeah, yeah Moo were there. Um, so, all, I guess, you know, a, a really established, good hand picked, yeah. um, established, uh, independent. Brewers from around Australia, a um, couple of distillers as well. Uh, I'll be there hosting the masterclasses. We're doing, th- I'll be hosting three, and then Matt from Australian Brews News will be doing a cheese one as well. We're going to be doing sours to start with, and then we're going to talk about Australian ingredients with um, Brookies Gin and Stone and Wood. Oh, that's great. That's a great uh, guest. Yeah, to be talking I think that'll be a fun sort of one. Thing, yeah. And um, we'll also be doing lagers at the end. Fun. So, yeah. That's uh, pretty much in your wheelhouse. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be over two different sessions, but I'm not sure on that yet. Per topic or? No, per, sorry, so two sessions. So there's a 12 to 4 and then I think a 6 to 10. But I mean, are you covering sours and lagers? In both in sessions, each one? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like fun. Yeah, so if you're in Brisbane, uh, check it out. It's one of those festivals where you just pay your cover charge and it's all the tasters for free. Yeah, cool. So uh, is that... Um, is that uh, tickets available through Stone and Wood? Yeah, head to the website. Um, I just shared a link on our Facebook as well that will nice. take you to the website. So, um, speaking of fun. Stone and Wood, uh, I went to a super secret Ooh, lunch last yeah. week uh, with Brad Rogers from Stone and Wood, and he is launching a new brand, kind of a sub brand for uh, I don't know how you call it, um, what you call it, but basically it's his own sort of. Uh, own own sort of project uh, called Forest for the Trees and he's going to be focusing on saisons and sours and barrel aged stuff. That's going to be bloody good. Yeah, uh, the first one we had uh, was just kind of a a straight saison uh, which is about 4.5%, really lovely just perfect, perfect kind of easy drinking saison, 
really, really vibrant, a little bit of spice. Uh, he's bat- put a, a stronger version of that in barrel aged for a few months, um, and I think that'll come out soon. Um, he's talking about putting stuff into photos and um, more barrels and doing, uh, I think he talked about photos. Anyway. That's really um, exciting though. Yeah. Uh, and there's, so yeah, it's all going to be focusing on, on fermentation and um, some natural souring as well as some, some yeah, cultured stuff. That is an exciting thing to look forward to. I guess people probably don't know that back in the day he was kind of making saisons before yeah. anyone else in Australia yeah. with the Matilda Bay barking Definitely stuff. Definitely um, his passion anyway, yeah. Hmm. But also with the, I don't know, like something with how we've seen fixation unfold, you sort of know what the approach is going to sort of look like mm. off the, uh, the arm of Stone of Wood. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I, I get the sense from him the approach is going to be um, have a go, see what happens. He just wants to make those beers, really. And now that Stonewood is um, very much established, he has the time to do it. I was up in Byron Bay as well, not for Stonewood this time, to hang out with Young Henry's for a, um, a hemp beer launch. All things hemp. Yeah. Beer, yeah. Uh, stood in a hemp field. Um, apparently lots of snakes hang out in Hempfield. Why? Because they, they grow really close together and they give off a lot of warmth. So oh, the brown okay. snakes just love it. Right, okay. Um, something I learned about hemp. Uh, I think i pretty sold on the idea of hemp as a, a product. It yeah. seems like a pretty good product. Cool. Um, what, what convinced you? Oh, I don't know. There's just lots of hippies around talking about it. Okay. And they'll sell me. I'm pretty easily sold with that kind of a thing. Um, Is that why you've got a growing collection of tote bags? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I do have a... I don't know if my tote bag is made out of hemp but the beer was a collaboration with uh, Fens Clothing and they do a lot of hemp clothing and as part of it was a tote bag and now I'm rocking on a Fens tote bag yeah. um, the beer itself so they used a water soluble hemp oil which my limited knowledge is it's very hard to do right. um, in the sense that hemp doesn't dissolve into water so making it water-soluble um, is really difficult unless you have a, a secret process, which this bioscience place in Adelaide does. Right. Uh, they say it's all natural, there's no heat involved, uh, and it just turns the hemp. So what does hemp in beer do? Well, um, it's really close to hops, so in this case it's giving flavour. Okay. Uh, so, look, to be honest, the flavour wasn't great when I tried it there. It was a bit grassy and a little bit herbal and earthy and not really pleasant. Okay. But definitely noticeable. My immediate reaction was, oh shit, you can taste that. And do you know what it was used in conjunction with, hop-wise? So they used four hops. Off the top of my head, there was Eldorado was one. All four sort of New Worldy hops. Plus they dry hopped with um, Centennial hop hash. So hop hash is that scraping down of the palletizing equipment uh, to create like a super concentrated. So... But they're all really like new worldy flavored hops. So the fact that you still got a heavy whack of that like herbaceous, earthy stuff. From I was genuinely surprised. Yeah, right. Um, but so saying that, I've had a can, had one last night. So what is it? Two weeks on, yeah. a week on, maybe two. Uh, and that flavors mellowed a lot. Okay. It's actually not unpleasant. Okay. Um, quite quite interesting. So, yeah, I, I reckon it's... And was it just, like, super fresh when you had it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so it, was, it just was too much, I think. I kind of wonder... Um, I guess it's the first one of those beers that it actually tastes... That I've had that tastes of hemp. 
right. a lot of people just use the seeds yeah. uh, and they toast them and it kind of I'm not even there. sure if I've really ever had one, to be honest. Uh, it only was technically only made legal last year right. in Australia. Okay. Um, but there were a couple around there, weren't there? Yeah, green, Kittle Green, sorry, um, yeah. which is Mia from Cavalier Side Project. Um, she did one pre it being legal. So I don't know. It's, it's a lot of grey areas. So I'm not really sure how it Pretty how dangerous it out. stuff, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I've got an article actually in Froth Magazine comes out this week um, all about the legalities of hemp and as well as THC um, and beer, so so marijuana and beer, um, how it applies to Australia, how it applies in the US and I guess are we ever going to see a, a beer loaded with either THC or, or CBD, which is the relaxant. And do right. we want it? I don't not want it. I'd, yeah, I'd like to. I'd be <laughs> interested to see what it's like. I guess. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Well, so in Portland at the moment, um, I guess I use Portland as an example because that's you know the the kind of place where the shit goes down yeah. all the time. <laughs> um, so CBD and THC are legal, as in mar- marijuana is legal. Um, so I guess they just have to control where they d- d- also, distribute it, right? So with CBD, because CBD isn't the it doesn't get you high. It just makes you relaxed. Um, so people use it for anxiety and migraines and pain. Um, so you can buy it. There's a couple of breweries that do CBD beers. Um, I think Prohibition Brewery. Uh, and a couple, like a cocktail bar, you can go along and get a CBD cocktail. You can get a CBD co- coffee in the morning. Uh, so they're really going crazy with it. Um, THC is slightly different in the sense that if you're selling THC... That's a weird mix of CBD and caffeine... Portland, come on. Portland, right. It's okay. a, I, it's the one I read about was cold brew on nitro, yeah, CBD. Right. Okay, um, that sounds pretty Portland to me. Yeah, but yeah, THC is going to be is slightly different because it is that's what's get you get you high. So um, you can't really mix that with alcohol as a a beer. So Keith Villa, Villa, I can't remember how to say his last name from um, Blue Moon Brewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's since quit Blue Moon. And he used to be staunchly anti-weed. Staunchly anti-weed. What, for, for, like, for, on what grounds? Can't remember. Okay. I think he, I don't know. But he, his new project that he's working on is uh, alcohol-free beers, but loaded with THC. Right. So there are a couple places doing THC drinks that just don't have alcohol. In that them. is a weird flip, Yeah, so though. now yeah. it's just like, oh, I just kind of realised that I sort of bought all the, all the negative press about it. I like when people change their minds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think, um, you know, Legalization of these kind of products, we're a long way in Australia before anything is going to get anyone high. Um, the amount of CBD, for example, because hemp is high in CBD, the amount that's allowable in Australia, I think, is 75 milligrams per kilo of food mm-hmm. or food equivalent. Um, What's the food equivalent in beer? Or like a liter of right? Okay, is a liter of beer a kg? Whatever it is, uh, it's one to one. Whatever it is, someone's going to is it one to one? Is like a liter one, of one mil is a rice lager and a liter of imperial stout the same weight? Oh no, maybe not. Water yeah. is water is one to one. Right. So yeah. God, don't correct us. Science, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, check out the article in Frost. But I mean, like, just from seeing the articles written um, and seeing, I mean, I don't know how much you want to take from the comments, but. Almost unanimously, the comments on those things were pretty much around 
finally a chance to get high drinking beer. Yeah. Like, so is that what the focus of these beers are? I don't know. Like, if you go by the no. comments, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people would like that. And I, it sucks interviewing <laughs> people about this because... What is the purpose for? Um, well, so they were talking about, in this case, it's a really hurt, sturdy crop. Right. Really reliable. Um, far more reliable than hops. So with hop shortages, global warming, um, hemp is, is viable, or could it be, they're saying if it could be a viable alternative to, to using it's beer. A really, isn't it a really um, uh, diverse product? Like it can be used in a lot of different ways? Yeah, um, really good for building. There's a building material. Uh, really good as a natural fiber. It was so good for paper as well, wasn't paper, it? Paper, yeah. yeah. I think I don't know much about the hemp industry. Is it's my understanding it's been kept down. You know, you talk I, hemp the hemp. That is what I've heard as well, but it might just be like yeah, wives' tales. I've never yeah. actually really properly looked at it. Has and one guy I was chatting to was saying that Australia was part of the reason it was colonized so quickly was it was going to be used as a hemp farm uh, to farm hemp for. British naval vessels, but then um, steam came in. They, right. didn't, they didn't need ropes so much. They didn't need sails so much. But and then it all got lumped in with marijuana, and I don't really know what happened. There are conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. I think that's all I've really heard. Maybe actually. we need a. I guess it's not really a crossover if it's hemp. I can say hemp and hypothetical. If it's a conspiracy theory, it's a conspiracy. Anyway, theory, yeah. we'll cover it in the hypothetical institute soon. Um, but yeah, I guess so. As a viable alternative to, to hops to give flavour to beer, and, and how much variation can you get in hemp? Well, I imagine a lot. You can get variation with hops. You can vari- get variation with with cannabis. Oh, I've never heard so, of it. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, true. Like no one's really bred it for flavour. In that sense, yeah. Uh, you know, cannabis and hops have been bred for flavour and, and different. Good tastes. point. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. One to watch, I guess. Yeah, anyway, check out my article in Froth, um, and also I wrote a little bit about it in Broadsheet, Sydney. Sweet. Um, hashtag freebie, obviously. Nice. Yeah, week, uh, weekend in Byron. I reckon that was our most d- dove into news story ever, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Look at us. Smashing it. Finally hitting our stride. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> And then we both sip a beer at the same time. Yeah. Just showing how not professional I was going to edit yeah. that, Dave. That's okay. fine. <laughs> not um, even in. Yeah. IBA, the Independent Brewers Association, have unveiled some labelling uh, guidelines. Yep. Not really much news to talk about that. What's I guess the change? It's just letting people know in one document what they need to put on a beer because what you need to put on a beer in terms of uh, you need to have best before date by, by the regulations. Um, one of the things, and I don't know why I was under the impression that this was going to happen but I thought it was going to also include their sort of guidelines around uh, things like sexism and uh, copyright yeah um, but that hasn't really been covered and I guess it's probably more of a grey area yeah I, that would need a lot of work I would imagine yeah I guess I would like to see someone take the, someone with a someone like the ABA take the lead on that um I know that... Which is fair enough, but I think it's also helpful to get the uh, ingredient, like the, 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 the two, two existing conditions, things. yeah, get yeah. that out as soon as possible. But um, yeah, because that's definitely like, you know what else I should put in there? Uh, restrictions around puns, beer puns. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting tired of it, Luke. <laughs> yeah. I'm really getting tired of it. Which, 
Is there any standout oh, to you no. lately? Oh, just... No, no, no. Like, none that have, like... I just see them... It just really makes me sick. Yeah. That's fair. I think the industry has moved on. Seven years ago, it was so funny. It's not funny anymore. Was it even funny seven years ago? I think so. Because it was in, in, in a stage of infancy. I guess I listened to a moderate ar- amount of Scar as a teen to early 20s guy not a huge amount but a moderate amount to be weary of pun tiredness so now I was just kind of already over it by the time well, now, well that's I feel like that's why it was acceptable seven, eight years ago and now like because you were still in your scarf people aren't I guess so people <laughs> aren't they're not learning their lessons <laughs> um, what's my train of thought now sorry uh, <laughs> what, what was the train of th- oh, oh labelling Labeling, uh, yeah, it's good to get, good to get that kind of information out there. Yeah, and sure. it generated discussion about um, best before dates versus packed on dates. I think from memory they advise packed on dates um, as a as a guide, but best before dates are a still compliant. Yeah, so you need to have best before, right? But packed on is is that's interesting to me. I feel like um, the other way around should well, be the way it should work. And best before is a food. I'm guessing it's Food Safety Australia, New Zealand. Food products have to have that across the board. Sure. And this counts as that. So the packed on date is, is kind of irrelevant to that. I um, guess so. But what's but the? What, like, how are they working out what a best before should be? Well, that's the that's the problem. Because it's a, it's a it's a food safety issue with with like edible food, right? Yes. With uh, perishable food in particular. Yeah. I don't know. How do you figure out what? I mean, a year as it is now, that's a pretty arbitrary Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, and that's it. the, unless you know, sorry, someone's just But then I guess, I guess that having a packed on date pushes a lot of the responsibility back onto the consumer, I guess. It, I mean, it doesn't, a packed on date doesn't matter for things like milk or, you know, most perishable foods. Yeah. Uh, so that's why there's no regulations around it. And, you know, beer is a separate, I guess it's unique in that way. Um, and also, is the is the terminology best before? Is that what the terminology is? I think so. So like a ten percent imperial stout is like best before yeah, a, yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah. Like that I think it has to be. Oh, uh, maybe there's a two two year if your product is perishable within two years or has to have at least something like that. Um, read the guidelines. Yeah, I guess I should. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just bring up my news again. Oh, Hopfest is happening this weekend. Sweet. Uh, which I mentioned. And the PR emailed me and I hadn't replied and I felt really bad. It's the one down in Hillsville. Yeah. Looks great. Looks fun. They've got a couple of um, promo snaps up on the socials and it looks pretty fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopfest, Hillsville. Look it up on the, the internet. When is it? Sorry, this weekend. This weekend coming up. So Melbourne Cup weekend. I hope, hopefully it becomes a yearly thing because I'd like to... Um, Actually, get down hopefully next year if it's still going ahead. And yeah, it sounds fun. Molly Rose podcast went mm-hmm. live last week, yeah. our first episode. Uh, did you ever listen to that? Yeah, I did. What do you think? Loved it. Cool. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, it's nice to see an idea that we've been talking about for a while start to take shape. So, yeah, quite a departure, I guess, from, I don't know. We do do this a bit casually, so it's good no, to get something more a bit like more serious. Drilled down narrative, hmm. and 
informative too. Yeah, yeah, I learned a lot. Yeah. Also, I get to ask really dumb questions. Like, yeah, are they dumb questions though? Unless you're uh, going through that process. It yeah, is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but things like, uh, who owns all this land? <laughs> like, I've, you know, you don't think about... Right, but is it a dumb question? I, I guess not, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thank you to um, Chris and uh, John, John from Brick Lane and Chris uh, of Yet Unnamed Brewery Project. Um, yeah, really cool to, to guess, pick everyone's brains about that. Uh, and we've got yeah more more Molly Rose content uh, November early November will be the next episode. So sweet, stay tuned for that, baby. Yeah, it's good. Well, should we throw? Should it at we us? go to the uh, main body of the show? Yeah, nice. the meat and potatoes. We yeah, call exactly. It. The entree's over. Yeah. We'll see you for dessert. <laughs> Great. <laughs>
Oh, yeah, definitely. I think um, I've, I've known uh, Brad Rogers and Jamie and Ross for, for a long time. I mean, I knew, knew Brad and judged with Brad around the world while I was still brewing at the Wigan Pen. So had a good relationship with, with Brad there for um, some time. And, and I think, you know, just staying in touch and just um, understanding how they've gone about, you know, running their brewing company. And um, we've, we've tried to do things a little bit differently as well. Um, but you certainly can see, you know, what some of the things that they've done and, um, and, and you know, like whilst you're not trying to copy them, you you know, there's, sometimes there's only one way to do something and you may as well just do it the right way, you know. <laughs> they're doing it right, so they may as well, they're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're drinking a, I don't know the name of it, the gluten-free beer. Kibari. Oh, yeah, the Kabari. Yeah. Kabari, yeah. yeah. Tell us about that. I haven't seen it before. Yeah, look, um, really got a good opportunity at the moment to work with um, CSIRO. They've developed this gluten-free barley. Um, apparently... Fortunately, you can't call it gluten-free in Australia, even though it's below five parts per billion, uh, per million, sorry, in uh, gluten, which overseas in Europe technically is gluten-free. Um, so, yeah, lucky enough to get hold of some of this malt, and so we've made this beer. Um, we made we, this is the second year we've been able to get some malt. So, the first year we made a saison, um, it turned out pretty good. Uh, it was pretty, you know, pretty good solid saison, but. We're hoping to get a bit more of this mould and maybe even take it a bit further with CSIRO. It's a complicated arrangement there and we've got to go through all this uh, regulatory uh, work to be able to, you know, call or let people know that the beer is low in gluten and also work with CSIRO to come up with a um, an agreement as well. So we're in the middle of all that. Hopefully we can look to get a beer out next year in cans. Does that, um, as a pale ale, kind of represent, I guess more market share and, and more approachability for gluten-free fans? Look, we get a lot of people um, contacting us about gluten-free. We have been um, pretty... Let people know that um, we do use an enzyme in a lot of our beers that does lower the gluten down below five parts per million as well. So, um, you know, if we can get hold of actual malt that, that can do the same job, there is a you know a massive amount of people out there who unfortunately suffer from, you know, celiac disease. But there's also a lot of people out there who make a lifestyle choice now we all make a lifestyle choice we made a lifestyle choice to enjoy beer you know some people make a lifestyle uh, choice to you know have a a low gluten diet but they still want to enjoy beer so we're trying to service that part of the market i don't think i've drunk a gluten-free beer on ages dave do you remember the last one you had uh no i couldn't tell you at all uh i remember talking recently to someone about it and we can only name a few ones that claim to be low in gluten or gluten-free um, yeah. or whatever but stone delicious maybe possibly ipa yeah, might have been the last sure. one I had. um i think exit made oh, one that's that right talk yeah to, yeah talk to them about it yeah uh what does the what sort of character does a gluten-free malt impart on a beer Look, it's certainly got a really distinct, um, unique, grainy flavour. Um, it definitely comes through in the beer. And sometimes, in some ways, you think it may well be, you may well be brewing with wheat because it gives us sort of a wheaty malt character. Um, and when we, that's why I first, when I first used the malt, I sort of hedged my bets a little bit. I sort of made a style that allows for different flavours, i.e. a saison. Yeah. This time around, I, was, I mean, we were pretty happy with the saison, but this time around, I wanted to really make something that, Obviously, a lot more people could in, could enjoy or would would enjoy, and um, pretty happy with it. Really, it's got some nice hop aroma there. Um, pretty clean sort of beer, and the malt flavour there is sort of just it's just a bit different on the palate. It sort of comes across a little bit like a wheat beer, but not not like a wheat beer. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I really only noticed how sort of peachy it is um, as much as anything. So it didn't even really strike me as a... How sort of what, sorry? Peachy. Peachy, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah it didn't really... Um, the malt profile didn't really strike me at all. So um, I mm. guess that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one of the things when you're using new ingredient for the first time is you've got to find that balance, you know. Find that balance between showcasing the ingredient you're using but also delivering a product that's, you know sessionable and and you know it's going to be something that hopefully people who maybe aren't you know craft beer aficionados but but people who are getting into beer can can enjoy Hmm. um now before we started you mentioned you'd been in the u.s looking at hops uh what did you find yeah pretty pretty um second year been over now looking into the hops and um i mean it's like anything you know when you're making something from natural ingredients that change every year you you sort of got to go and suss out what you're doing. And, you know, we're probably using um, 10 tonne of hop a year at the moment. So really, you know, it comes down to wanting to go and choose our own hops. So really lucky to go over and, and do hop selection where you, you sit in a little room, you get, you know, six or seven little parcels of citra come out and from different farms all around the growing re- region in the, in the US. And you sit there and rub and sniff and try and, Pick the best one, and pretty hard job that one. It's <laughs> like you get full of hops. Yeah. Like, in fact, I chucked my clothes in the bin before I um <laughs> before I left the US because I was so I was so, I was thinking like I'm, I'm not going to get through customs yeah, here in Australia. The dogs yeah. come through. <laughs> How much variation is there between the same varieties in the different locations? You'd be really surprised. Um, it's amazing. Each farm has its own different picking schedule as well. So. This, we, take, we, we, we compared a lot of different hops. Let's use Citra for an example. That was one of the ones we did. We compared Citra from early picking to middle picking to late picking. And even just the picking time, was the, the Citra changed quite a bit. Um, and then from farm to farm, so the terroir plays a, a big, big place in, in hop. So some of the farms had a lot more of a piney... Um, lemony-like character in the in the citra where some farms had a much more orange forward character which sort of citrus known known for orange mandarin sort of character um and so it was really interesting you know to, to see the different ones and then and then you sit there and you've got this one over here and this one over here well what happens if we put those two together and and make it make our own sort of citra blend and and then create this thing that's got lemon and mandarin and orange and it's great so um, is that something when you're at the Wigan Pen, you have the ability to do, or is it just the volume you're doing now kind of allows you more freedom in that space? Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's, you know, I mean, uh, I didn't get a chance to do it at the Wigan Pen, no. I mean, we did play around with lots of different pellets, um, and that's one of the beautiful things about um, using hot pellets is that they, their storage capabilities are a lot better than flowers, so you're not, you know... If you go down to hop harvest here in, in, in Australia, I'm sure it'll be the same in the US. You can get, you know, five, six different types of galaxy, come from different areas of different farms and be able to do it. I mean, at the wig, I used to get different pellets, grind them all up into, into dust and blend different hop varieties together and see what ones worked really well together and then make a beer with them. Mm. And that's sort of how I came up with my, my uh, hop profiles in most of my beers. But being able to do it pretty well a few weeks after the flowers have been harvested and just seeing them and smelling them so fresh is just... Yeah, it's um, something I recommend every brewer tries to get get into. Mm. Um, talking about the Wigan Pen, I guess a lot of people knew that as um, 
you did some really interesting sour stuff and some English ales. Um, well, that's certainly what I, what I saw it as. Now with Bent Spoke, I'm you're seeing um, IPAs coming out. The cluster series is kind of pushing the boundaries of, of intensely hot beers. Um, do you guys, I guess, is that a conscious change for you? Or are you still doing those kind of beers at Bent Spoke and we just don't see them outside of uh, Canberra? Yeah, a bit of both, really. Like at the week, I was doing hoppy beers, and at, the, at Bent Spoke, we're still doing sours and pushing the boundaries with a few different beers. But, you know, we haven't really put those forward into cans as of yet, I guess. Um, it seems like we sort of had something going with the cans of Ben's Fake where people were getting into them and most of the beers we put forward were hop forward beers. Um, we certainly got plans to put out some big and interesting beers. Um, not necessarily big, big in flavour, not necessarily big in alcohol. Um, I guess at the week I did make some pretty hoppy beers there. Um, definitely, I remember winning a Champion IPA award back then for an American IPA that I, I did, um, known as Venom. And uh, that was sort of, I think, in 99, 2000. Um, but I guess after that, when we started our barrel program, like you say, it sort of people got into some of the sours we were making and and uh, I guess probably didn't get a chance to try the hop beers because by the time they'd had six or seven sours or whatever <laughs> we had on tap, they weren't having any hoppy beers. You're just trying to think the one time I went, I can't remember what I had, but I enjoyed them all. <laughs> Did you go there? I never went there, but I only I remember, yeah, the courthouse had a, take over or two some some other places but i was uh bob's armpit man yeah. through and through yeah yeah my girlfriend still talks about that yeah. <laughs> so what are the um on the cluster series we mentioned that uh you just put one of them out in tins yeah the eight yep. was it yeah it was eight yep so what's the story with those ones yeah look we just started i guess i mean you know like uh one of the good things about you know, when you when you get to build your own bike, you can decide how many gears you have. You know, you can decide how many you want to put on the back. The cluster on the back, you can have, you know, anywhere from 1 to 12, 14, whatever you decide, really. So it was the same with the cluster beer series. We sort of started off making a cluster 8, um, I guess a double IPA, and then quickly made a 12, and we made a 16, and even went up to an 18. Uh, a few years ago, we made an 18. Um, I remember trying that at maybe Gab's. It might have been, the, or was it the 16? You brought one along to Gab's one year. Yeah, we brought, the first year we came to Gab's, we brought about 20 litres, uh, 30 litres of, of cluster 18 and yeah. tried to ration it out. And I was yeah, genuinely surprised how much I enjoyed it. I, yeah. Because, you know, you see that kind of beer and you're like, oh, yeah. it's probably not, you know, it's probably going to be intense and that's probably about it. And yeah. I was like, oh, actually, this pretty good <laughs> yeah i think one of the things is though the way we make made our make our high alcohol beer so the alcohol's really blended well into the beer it's not that burning um alcohol high alcohol sort of um feeling you get down the back of your throat when you when you're drinking those big alcohol beers which is um it's something i really believe that the hops help with so that the amount of hops that you use actually um mellow and blend that alcohol into the beer and don't don't allow that sort of burning alcohol sensation. Mm. Um, so it's eighteen percent. Is that the, how it works? How how do you get eighteen percent? Do you use a special yeast, or do you? Uh, we didn't actually. We we're just trying to push and see what our normal American ale yeast, um, which is just US five, um, could go. And um, you know, like when you when you use the right pitching rates and the right temperature profile and. Um, and the amount of right amount of oxygen it's amazing what you can actually get a yeast to do and i think um that's something that you know like 
it takes time and, and to be able to play with all those three sort of variables when, you, when you're brewing because it's not something you really want to risk when you're in a brewery. Once you're making a good beer, you want to stick to that same sort of number of yeast, amount of oxygen, temperature profile. But if you push the boundaries with it, it's amazing what you, how toler- tolerant your yeast is. Hmm. Healthy yeast, huh? Does it, does yeah. it work? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how's Canberra going? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we really, Chase and I really love living there. Um, and uh, we're pretty busy with the with the, the company at the moment. Um, so yeah, just over seventy employees now. So it's um, you know got a few uh, yeah, sure. few people to feed every week. So um, it's important that you know I feel like we stay really heavily involved. So I'm still brewing beer out at the production brewery. I get into Braddon in the brew pub and probably brew a beer in there every fortnight or so. Um, Trace does most of the brewing in there now, so she's sort of picked up from where sort of I stopped once the production brewery came on board and um, you know we're selling 60 gigs a week through the brew pub so it's probably a pretty busy brew pub compared to others around Australia so it's pretty pretty good uh, pretty good numbers obviously we're making something that people enjoy so it's really pleasing mm. how about the rest of Canberra um, it feels like there's a few things popping up there that yeah one of the good things is because when I was at the wig it was sort of it was the start of the there was only four or five small breweries in Australia when I was brewing at the wig I think we had Bootleg, we had Lord Nelson, we had Shara's at Picton, um, we had the G-Bung Polo Club. Sail and Anchor. And the, uh, oh, the Sail and Anchor, yep. And then the Wigan Pen. Yeah, so, sure. So, you know, there weren't many breweries around. And um, there was actually another one down in, in Hobart. I'm just trying to think of the name, but I can't remember it. It's... It was right on the dock, and uh, I think the guy, uh, Tim Lord, actually, who, who runs uh, um, uh, Hot Products Australia, he was actually brewing there at the time. Um, oh, right. But, uh, yeah, so I mean, then to see the market just grow and change and people really embrace beer has been just such an amazing thing to be part of, really. And then, But in, in Canberra, with the Wigan Pen, we were one of the only breweries there, and uh, and then we had a couple of other breweries open up in Zeeholtz, um, German-style brewery. And then a couple of uh, beer companies um, op- open up as well, and now Capital Brewing's opened up, and it's amazing. Like people are just really embracing really good beer, and so everyone says, "Oh, you know, do you see other breweries as, as uh, competition?" And I sort of feel like um, Ben Spokes sells more beer because the other breweries are around, and I'm sure the other breweries sell more beer because Ben Spokes around. So, mm. you know, I, I think we're all lifting the market together, and the market's still so small that. Any lifting market is, you know, it's heaps more beer you got to make. So, <laughs> you know, I'd rather be lifting the market than worrying about what someone else is doing. I imagine the first the person going into Ben Spoke for the first time and going, "Oh shit, this is really good," and then finding out capital's there and vice versa. It's um, yeah, exactly. The market's still got a lot of room for growth. I agree. Seems. I agree, and I think that's something that we need to really focus on. Is we shouldn't be too worried about what the brewery next door to us is doing. We should be more worried about trying to work with the brewery next door to reach more people, mm. you know. And then as we reach more people, we reach more... Those people reach more people. Mm. And um, everyone wins. What do you see as Bent Spoke's flagship beer? Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I still find it amazing when we opened the brew pub that we started with a pale ale, uh, the Barley Griffin. We started with a, a lager, Mort's Gold, uh, pretty hoppy lager. Um, we started with a, a hand-pumped uh, Best Bitter um, and a sort of a combination of a American brown sort of Belgian ale. 
No, called Dick Tracy. We had to name one beer after ourselves, so that was the first <laughs> beer we made, which was Dick Tracy. Yep. <laughs> and we also started with Crankshaft, which is an IPA, and, you know, sort of, when I think back, I, I never would have thought that Crankshaft would be our biggest selling beer. Um, it's our biggest selling beer in the brew pub, and it's our biggest selling beer in Cairns and in, and in Keg, so uh, it's, you know, I guess that answers that question, really. Yeah. It sort of is our flagship yeah, beer, wow. which is... Based on that, I think that's why we sort of went down the the hoppy route with the beers because people wanted people kept asking us what beer you're next going to put in cans, and they kept telling us, "Oh, you got to put sprocket in cans, you got to put red nut in cans." So it was sort of that people were telling us what to put in cans. Yeah, we, didn't really, we didn't really we didn't really put have to put any thought into what was our next beer. We sort of just followed what people wanted. That's pretty interesting because even some of the other brew pubs that we've spoken to um, and tap rooms. Even when they have pretty great, legitimate IPAs, they never really get close to their best-selling uh, beers. So to hear that that's just flying through the, uh, the system there is pretty interesting, I reckon. Mm. Mm. Did you do anything to, to, I guess, set that apart or market it differently? Or is it Not just really. I mean, we started... I always, I always remember thinking to myself that when I did some research in the US, there weren't many breweries there that really started with one beer. And I, I guess if you want to... It's not a negative thing, I guess, but if you want to, you know, talk about Stone and Wood and how they've got their flagship beer, the, you know, Civic Ale, I always thought, geez, you're putting all your eggs in one basket, you know. So we started with two beers in the can. We started with the Barley Griffin, which is, you know, it's a reasonably sort of hoppy pale ale by pale ale standards. It's not hoppy by IPA standards, but it's hoppy by pale ale standards. And then we started with our, with our Crankshaft IPA, and they were the two biggest selling beers in the brew pub as well. And I always felt that starting with two beers was a much better opportunity. Mm. And look, Crankshaft is our biggest seller, but the Barley Griffin still is not far behind it, really. Um, so I think that's... I find that pretty pretty good for us. So we've got two beers that are pretty... You know, one's a little bit further in front, but not far. Mm. So we can, we can... When we go to customers or when customers go into the bottle shop, they've got generally two pretty different beers to choose from, mm. depending on where they are in their beer journey, um, rather than just you know, one or two that are in the same sort of category. Hmm. So I think that that's that's potentially been a pretty good thing. Are you nationwide? Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, we're definitely in a lot more um, uh, Victorian and New South Wales um, stores now than, than uh, we are further afield, but we are looking at just about to start getting some beer to WA. Unfortunately, um, South Australia at the moment is a bit of a hard one because um, we can only sell kegs there. Um, they don't like our, uh, our lids on our cans. So you can only, unfortunately, South Australians can only buy, buy our beer online. So That's, um, Is that different for New South Wales? Because they've got a similar container scheme now. They do. They have a container scheme, but they've deemed our lid, our, um, our lid to be okay. okay. Certainly for, for some time anyway. So I guess for people that don't know, do you know about this, Dave? The 360 yeah, lid, yeah. The yeah. 360 lid. I can't remember who we talked to that about. Uh, Colonial mentioned Colonial, it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Colonial so were the first brewery in Australia to do it. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt they were the first brewery. There's no, I think there's four or five doing it now. And yeah. But I remember seeing, Trace and I remember seeing it in the States in 2012 and thought, geez, these are great. Like mm. you don't, you're not slurping the beer, you can see the beer and more importantly, you can actually smell the beer when you're drinking out of a can, which is pretty they, important. They catch people by surprise at parties. If I've got yeah. one, they're like, Wait, what do you? What is that? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, so, what's next for for Ben Spoke? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
I think we're just um, we're just going through a bit of a you know a pretty upgrade of our packaging line, and we just can't put enough beer in cans, so we're doing that at the moment. Um, and I guess the next thing will be like, I guess just getting more different beers out in cans. Um, hopefully next year we can um, certainly early next year we can get a few really unique beers in cans, which would be really good. Um, looking forward to that because I must admit I, I'm not I don't really. If I go and have a couple of beers, I rarely have the same beer twice. I like a, I like a range of beers. I like you know, to, to have different flavours, experience those different aromas. Um, and so, you know, with our hoppy, nice hoppy range of beers at the moment, they sort of, um, you know, they're, not, they're all different, but they're, they're still hoppy. Um, Are you saying you're bored of your bit, biggest selling beers? <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm not bored of them, but uh, I love my hops. Um, but I'd love to have a sour or something like that as well. What would that look like in a can, do you think? Yeah, we'd, um, hopefully pretty good. There's a lot of breweries doing sours in cans, so I mean, if they can do it and 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 get them tasting good, then I'm, I'm sure we can we can have a pretty good crack as well. So um, it's just a matter of working out, you know, something that sits somewhere in the market that's maybe not the same as someone else doing a sour, I suppose. And mm. that's pretty hard because there's a lot of there's a lot of good sours out there. So mm. yeah, it is it is great now, you know. Four years ago, a, a sour in a can was crazy talk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now there's blunt devices and cans everywhere. And well, I think, you know, even four, maybe six years ago, even the talk of sours was, was crazy talk, really. Yeah, yeah. You know? so it's well, it was, would have been 2011 when I first tried Bob's Armpit, and that would yep. have been not the first sour, but definitely in the would mix. would have been the, right the in the mix, though, I, yeah. I tried. Um, so yeah, and that, that feels like an age ago, but it's probably not that long ago at all, is it? Yeah, I love that beer. That that beer was you know, a special place because that was really one of those big, one of probably the first higher alcohol sours that came out. Like a lot of sours were sort of four or five percent, which is generally the theme in sour beer. But but to put out a beer that was sort of I think it was about six point eight or seven percent. Um, is that as much of a cult classic as Dave and I think it is, or is it just us two? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we get a heap of people asking okay, for good. it, but uh, <laughs> you know that that was a that was um, that was that beer was made at the Wigan Pen, and and I'm sure and I hope that Wigan Pen will re bring that beer back at some mm. point. Um, for Ben Spoke, we'll come up with our own uh, rendition of a Bob's Armpit. All right. <laughs> How about this sort of? Uh, Older school English ales. I see there's a London Porter on here at the moment. Um, does that go all right at the at the pub? Yeah, look, we um, we do sell quite a bit of uh, Porter around Canberra. It's been pretty good, pretty good beer for us wholesale wise, keg wise. We're not doing it in cans, but um, and we also sell some hand pump. We got some real ales at the brew pub as well that go pretty well. I mean, I guess you know we're lucky in Canberra. We get we get four seasons stretched out through the the whole year, not just um, in a couple of days like you guys. So um, we, we do get those colder months all together and we can, um, you know, g- generally that, that is a sort of a sign for people to want to drink darker beers. So, um, yeah, the gatekeeper's been a, been a good sort of porter for us. Nice. Um, not too many people doing cask in Australia, are they? So it's, I guess it's No, it isn't. I mean, it's one, of those, it's one of those interesting beer styles. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but, and everyone sort of talks about it as being warm and flat, but to be honest with you... They're just, they're just cool. They're not cold. I mean, you wouldn't go swimming. We serve ours about 8 degrees, and you wouldn't go swimming at 8 degrees. So they're yeah. not warm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably my, one of my favourite things, a good English mild served that, that 8 degrees. So you can't beat that, I don't think. It's great. Yeah, drink it's really refreshing too. <laughs> Beer, I mean, it's like drinking water. Everyone, when they're really hot, they drink really cold water and think that it's going to 
hydrate them quicker. But if you actually drink warm water, it hydrates you heaps quicker than cold water. And it's sort of a bit like, a bit like that English beer. Like it, if you have a pint of mild at three and a half percent, it you know really does refresh you really quickly. Mm, yeah. Any more questions from you, Dave? Me, no. I reckon we'll wrap that up and let you uh, go enjoy a beer and the nice sunshine out there. Thank you uh, so much for joining us, um, and good luck with uh, Ben Spoke next. Till yeah. we next speak. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, guys, for having me. And, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy a few beers too. Cheers. Thank you. Wasn't that good? Richard's a good chap. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed your meat and potatoes. I thought you were saying something wasn't that good. No, no, it wasn't, wasn't that good. That good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was good. I guess if you write it down, it makes more sense. Um You've got some recommendations? Yeah, I do. What do you want to start with? Oh, thank you, Richard, by the way, for joining us. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, I like talking to that guy. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to the Bent Spoke team for, for sorting it out. He literally stepped off, a, stepped off a plane and into our hearts. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you want me to start? Yeah. What do you want to start with? I'm going to go for a beer recommendation. Do it. Oh, I changed it. Oh, okay. Don't look at my notes. I changed oh, it. I couldn't even read it after that anyway. Yeah. Um, I had the... Akasha Mosaic IPA the other day. Mm-hmm. Really, really enjoyed it. You texted me that you enjoyed it? Yeah. yeah um, single hop, obviously. Um, I'm assuming single hop, it's called Mosaic. Really Mosaic-y. <laughs> like, I know that sounds, that sounds dumb, but Mosaic is in so many beers these days. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and a, it's kind of got a bubblegummy... It's very distinct. Yeah. yeah. So getting that by itself was like, I thought it might have been a bit too much of that. Uh, it's a bit fruit salady, fruit punchy, bubble gummy for me, um, but it was gorgeous. But it worked. Yeah, yeah nice. I drank. Where'd you I, have that? Bar Josephine. On tap. Uh, yeah, on tap. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Uh, shout out to Bar Josephine. Also, this weekend they've got a garage project tap takeover coming Sweet, up, so I'm yeah. probably going to stick my head into that. And Why not? Drink a old GP beer. I had um, Can La over the weekend. Mm. Delicious. Is that a? That's a. I think it's a rice lager with a little bit of mint. Yeah. That's um. Designed to accompany uh, Vietnamese street food, I guess, yeah, but yeah. like spicy food. Yeah. Um, and it's a belter. It's really good. Right. Yeah. I was about to get a. I don't love like since the start the first batch or two of uh, DFA. Mm. I haven't loved it. It's, mm. I don't know. I, for whatever because reason, it's too much chili. Yeah, it used chili to be called death from above. Yeah. yeah. Uh, chili uh, lime. Chili lime. Lemongrass, something like that. Ooh. IPA. Um, and I was I picked up a can and I was at Otter's Promise and Dan said try the can la and I went that's I mean if you're going to tell me to put down DFA yeah, in yeah. favour of something else then I'm Dan, I like it. how Dan knows his market hey Dave put down that IPA and pick up a lager yeah <laughs> you'll enjoy it and I did he was yeah. right um, a garage project I just like, I see socials and I go that's a screenshot of like four beers I've never seen before yeah 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 and yeah. all the artwork is so different and cool. Like, I don't know. Like, they're just a runaway train. Yep. Um, so, Canla, I saw, is on at a Vietnamese place in Footscray that some, out of nowhere they upped their beer game and had like 30 beers on the list. Yeah, well, I mean... Um, I think they've kind of then pulled that back because they weren't moving that much sure. stuff. Um, if, you're having a, if you're going in for a bun me, though, if you get a Canla, you are loving your life, yeah. It, unfortunately, it's my least favourite of all the Vietnamese places along oh, Footscray. Oh, right, okay. Um, can you get a beer there and go elsewhere? No, you can do, you can do BYR at a lot of the yeah. other places. Um, 
Yeah, is Canla your recommendation? No, it's not. Okay. Just uh, your yours? little garage project mention uh, brought to mind. Mine is going to be, I, I can't remember the name of it, but the, the, the Brute IPA from Moondog. Oh, uh, Brutus, I think it is. Brutus oh, the Beefcake or something verse. like that. Yeah, anyway, that is a killer. It's probably my favorite Moondog beer they've ever made. And it's also probably my favorite local double IPA. Mm. Um, it's so dry, so hoppy. Really re- like reminds me of those uh, West Coast IPAs with their dryness. But reminds me a little bit of Liberty Citra um, in that sense. Yep. Um, I mean, it's 9.5%, so it's well over our 8% rule. Didn't matter. It was mm. so dry and delicious that um, I had it on tap at Boilermaker House a few weeks ago. And I was like, I need more of this. Had a chat with Josh. He goes, it's one of the least financially viable beers I've ever made. So it's not gonna, <laughs> it isn't going to happen again. Yeah. Um, I was trying to make a case to put it in cans. Oh, yeah. Fell on deaf ears. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think it's a deaf ear when you're just deliberately saying, no, that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, I delicious. Very, very open delicious. ears to just yeah. shooting you down. I haven't, like, I don't know. Like, I haven't enjoyed the big format bottle beers as much from them lately. I've been having, like, a beer can <laughs> a <Yeah>. lot. <laughs> um, and maybe some old mate when I see it. Uh, but that was a killer. Probably, yeah, my... F- Favorite local double IPA Good, that I've had. Good yeah. yeah, I had it and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, um, non beer. I changed my non beer because I was reminded when we were talking about Vietnamese food on Footscray. It isn't Vietnamese, but it's in Footscray. Uh, it's called Ica 8. Yeah. It's this new kind of smallish place. It looks like a chain, but it's the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, Ika in the letter 8. Okay. Uh, their tagline is the giant squid. Giant squid. Yep. And they do whole fried squid on a stick. Yep. As in tentacles and everything, they fry it. They have four, three, maybe three flavors of the deep fried one and two of the grilled. Yeah. I had a Tom Yum one the other day. Um, they have a Japanese one. They have a kimchi flavored one. Uh, and then you can buy all those squid, squid balls and stuff. But it's a whole fried squid on a stick. Looks very alien-like. Sure. But it looks delicious. That's great, yeah. So, yeah, head to Ica 8 if you're in Footscray and get a... A deep fried squid on a stick. Absolutely. Look them up. They're, they're terrifyingly delicious. All right. My non-beer is going to be um, the second uh, part of Making a Murderer. Okay. And it's almost because I'm sort of hating it. But it's, it's compelling me though. Okay. It seems really contrived. Like, I can't really tell you how mad it makes me watching it. Yep. But it's pretty goddamn compelling. Have you, did you watch the first one? I did. I have been struggling with the second one. Yeah, how far through are you? Two episodes. Are you finding that it looks like it's orchestrated? Like all these moments they're having on camera really bugs me. I'm really finding that it's dragging out. Like they're kind of telling us the the premise of of each episode. Yeah. And then they're just reiterating it. And maybe we're into the third or fourth episode by now. I can't remember. But yeah, I'm struggling with... I already know all this. I need the new information, and then yeah. they're taking so long to get there. There is some great. There's like some great new information mm. that takes forever yeah. to get to. Okay, I'm about to finish it tonight. Okay, and I'm so mad, but still compelled. Yeah. So like, even if you didn't like, is that is that Netflix as a whole right now? I've like gone halfway through so many shows lately. Maybe I'm, because I'm like it seems easy to get. It seems easy to get a show on Netflix. There's yeah. a lot of trash on yeah. there. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, like, the, this recommendation is if you didn't love... If you watched the first series and didn't love it, you're still not going to love it, but, like, it's pretty compelling still. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm going to finish it. Yeah. Stick with it, because there is yeah. a lot. Yeah. Uh, a lot of nonsense in there, but it's kind of... It's enjoyably maddening, though. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Huh. I'm having right. a good time being upset by it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool, Dave. Um, where do we find you? Ah, I you can find it. me at Ale of a Time on Twitter and all the other socials. Aleofatime uh, for our website uh, and the Hypothetical Institute uh, for conspiracy stuff. Nice. Available in all your uh, podcasting apps. We got a couple of new Patreon subscribers or changed their tiers. Oh yeah. But couple bumped up which oh, really? is Thank fun you. as far as I'm concerned yeah, I it's, it's either, either new people or uh, up tier I don't know yeah. what you want to call it um, so that's awesome stay tuned for some fun stuff yeah uh, if you're interested go to patreon.com forward slash ale of a time catch me at Melb Dave on Instagram and Twitter um, send me an email Dave at ale of a time .com. if you're outside Melbourne and you've got some news if you just bashed your... I mean, I guess we did a little bit of uh, Byron news. But, um, mm. yeah, if you've got some news in your local area we're not covering, send us an email and we'll cover it. Unless it's boring. Yeah. Give, give me that email. Yeah, yeah. Give Dave that email. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. No worries. Thank you. <laughs>